0: Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the Science Fiction Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Charlotte. Uh, This month on Spectology, we've been reading Rupetta by N.A. Solway. Uh, Each month on Spectology, we pick a different book, we read it, we talk about it over two episodes. Uh, Our first pre-read non-spoiler episode with Charlotte came out. I think almost three weeks ago at this point, um, at the beginning of December. So if you would like an introduction to the book, that's probably the best thing to listen to. This month we'll be talking about the plot, characters, themes, a lot of the book, uh, very in-depth. Uh, Charlotte and I will be First, before we get into that, I just had a couple of pieces of housekeeping. Um, Number one is we have selected our book for next month, which will be 10 Billion Days and 100 Billion Nights by Ryu Mitsuse, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, I do not speak Japanese. It's kind of a classic of Japanese science fiction. Uh, Matt picked it for us. Matt will also be back next month, which will be nice. Um, unfortunately, he's not here with us this month because he had a bunch of finals and he needed to take some time off to actually do well in his classes. Um, yeah. And then uh, so next month we'll be kind of back. Uh, we'll be back on a more regular schedule again. We'll be posting a little bit more. Uh, the holidays have been rough for us. So we have been just doing rupetta. Um, But I'm really excited to talk about rupetta here um our guest this month is award-winning poet and publisher charlotte Geeter.
1: <laughs> i think
0: i'm just embarrassed a little bit <laughs> charlotte do you want to introduce yourself a little bit
2: yeah. Um, so, hi. Um, I'm Charlotte Gita. Um, yeah, I'm a poet, and I work for um, a small press in the UK called um, the Emma Press, where we publish poetry and children's fiction and translated fiction um, and all that kind of stuff. In the new year, we've got quite a lot of um, Indonesian fiction coming out in English, so if that's your thing, you should look us up. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure quite what I'll say. I read a lot of books. I try. I'm trying to write more about them. So, if you and if you want to read my book reviews or um, lots and lots and lots of endless like um essays about the 90s tv show due south you can check out my dream width, which is always already dot dream org.
0: very cool i actually don't know what dream with is i've never i've never heard of that before
2: dream with is like live journal was like 10 years ago
0: oh cool um
2: but it's like owned and run by fans um rather than like a weird russian corporation who now owns live journal <laughs> <laughs> okay fair enough fair enough Cool. And uh, you're also
0: at Tambourine on Twitter, um, which is how you and I kind of know each other is through the Twitter sphere.
2: Yes. Yes. I'm at Tambourine on Twitter with a U in it because you can probably hear I'm British.
0: (laughs) Um, And you also, I I, I do want to point out, like you just won a poetry award, which you had mentioned being shortlisted for in the last episode. And since since then you've won it. And the poem was, um, what was the name of the poem again? Because I remember I loved it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's a, the award is for a portfolio, but they published um a sample poem online, um, and the poem title is Bangable Dudes in History," right. which is actually the name of a blog from like seven years ago. So I didn't come up with the title. It was the name of a blog that was like popular among like the kind of groups i was in then aka like 20 year old girls where it was like hot <laughs> men in history um and so at the time i wrote it i was like oh yeah everyone gets this reference and now it's like seven years on and i don't think people <laughs> do get that reference and i feel kind of bad because people like the title and i'm like yeah i i didn't come with that title so i'm a bit like am i going to be the next poetry plagiarism scandal but um, you can't copyright a title right um, as the romance fiction community knows there's been multiple scandals this year about people trying to go for right titles so oh, there you go so yeah that, that's the poem if you if you come to my if you come and look at me um at tambourine on twitter it's linked to my pinned tweet
0: cool and uh you know i think you're also giving credit where credit is due <laughs> so i think you you should be good there um <laughs> but yeah that was that was really exciting. i was really excited to see that and everything and um yeah. So again, thank you for being on and dealing with I know we both had a couple of scheduling hiccups. So, you know, it's fine. We're back. We're here. People will listen to us. I think this whole episode will be posting two days before Christmas is my plan. Christmas Eve Eve uh, so that folks can listen to us instead of their parents if they need to. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Very good plan.
0: So, um, yeah, so we both read Rupetta, like I said, there'll be spoilers all through this episode, um, and we don't really go through the plot linearly necessarily. So, you know, if you're listening, just be aware of that. And, um, there's also, we'll be talking about like, just as a content warning, I think we'll be talking about some of the, the, like torture and like body horror elements of the of the plot i don't know if there's like much more content warning wise than that but um that'll definitely be an element that that comes up as we're talking um and if anything else i'll try to remember before we talk about it um yeah. So I think uh, this was the first time you'd read the book. This was obviously the first time I'd read the book. So um, what did you think of it? Like, did it hold up to expectations? Was it was it good? Did you like it? I mean, I know you liked it. But like, you know, what, like, give me give me your kind of brief thoughts here.
2: Yeah, well, I really, really loved it. Um, it kind of contained an awful lot of the things that I look for combined in a way that I hadn't really read before. And I was kind of amazed at how much I liked it and how much it combined a lot of those because a lot of them are things that I'm constantly looking for and that it just hadn't come up much. So um I mean I'd heard about it um earlier this year and so I'd been planning on reading it anyway, but it's just the kind of book where I'm like, why aren't people always talking about this book? Um because yeah i mean so one of the things i i, I like is this kind of it's got like a non linear structure so when you said we, we don't tend to go through the plot in kind of um a linear way i was like how would you do <laughs> <with> this <book? laughs> right, for real um and 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 it does that really well and really interestingly and then um i love the kind of and and like one of the chapters is like a character's thesis Yeah, i was that like was oh cool. yes was really into this that. is for me
1: right um
2: yeah and and it's just you know the the i found the queer romance really compelling for the Mm -hmm. most part and that's another thing i look for a lot in science fiction and fantasy
0: where like romance is too there's like kind of a range of that which i I like yeah
2: yeah and um and like yeah the kind of metafictional aspects um like 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 the thesis coming up mm. and the way that it kind of draws attention to the narration the way that so much of it's about history mm-hmm. um and so obviously I, I don't think it was like a perfect book um but um i but yeah it, it really like it was like someone kind of stuck their fingers into my brain and squashed them around <laughs> a little bit in a good way and where that could be a bad thing but um, <laughs> but yeah um and and i really loved like the the way it was written and the way it kind of talked about like um various type different types of history, like the way it's very much like a Mm -hmm. book that's like historiography, nerd and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I was I was very into the book.
0: Good, good. Um I think so I'll say I just I had finished like ninety-eight percent of the book and I just finished the last couple of pages uh, you know a couple of hours ago because i'm a very bad procrastinator and always leave that to the last minute um but i am so i loved everything that you just talked about and i do feel like my own feelings on the book were like i loved the first two thirds and felt that the last third was kind of shaky in certain ways that Mm. i think because i have just finished that part i like that's kind of large in my memory so i'll want to talk about some of those things. Also apologies. I'm sick and I'm going to have the sniffles the whole time to our listeners. So I'll try to do my best to edit those out, (laughs) um, mouth noises and all that. But yeah, the last third that felt shakier to me than the first two thirds, because the first two thirds actually contain all those elements that you mentioned. It's really Mm. where the queer love story kind of like happens and blossoms and you get to see like different love stories happen. Um, I particularly liked, um, The prose style. It was interesting and like weird and different um, in a way that I really enjoyed until the novel got more plotty. And then I felt that it actually. Like it was very good when it was this kind of like simmering low key thing. But as soon as like it really the plot pulled in, it felt that the uh, the pro styling wasn't quite apt for doing like really plot actiony scenes. You know, I almost want to call the book quiet in a way and that it's like kind of unassuming. And but like it's like quiet but confident. <laughs> mm. Right. Um, like the book is very much what it is. Um and it's strong and the prose is very strong and everything but it's also it's telling a story that like you said is different um like it it contains all these different pieces that i liked you know there's like the philosophy of mind and like the biology and like what what is rupetta and um also these like you know i love long historical epics like things that take place over like hundreds or thousands of years i mean in this case hundreds of years and kind of like follow history and i love hearing you know i could talk about like what is history all day which you know i mean we're gonna get the chance to do a little bit today (laughs) um so i really enjoyed those elements um i think maybe it's worth talking a little bit about the um the prose and the writing style um because it is I know Nike Solway, the author, is, you know, as we mentioned in the pre-read, she studies folk tales and fairy tales. Mm. And there's something very, like, fairy tale about the book generally. And some of this comes up, you know, like you mentioned, um, Rupetta, you know, Calls like at the very beginning of the novel, talks about like her memory is fallible in a way that's different from the way like human memory is fallible and that it is like it's mechanical and it's been changed and tinkered with over time. And she experiences memory and like the present senses as the same thing, like she can kind of like just move between the two, you know, in the same way that like. You know, again, she's not a robot, but in the same way that like a computer, you know, simulation, it's like the simulation of the thing now and in the past is the is the same. Um, And so you definitely like the writing style has that there are certain of these cool long meandering, you know, sections where it's like she just kind of flows through different time periods and like what's present is like it's unclear <laughs> you know it's like yeah. everything's in present tense but you know she's talking about the past and the present and the future even at the same time in a way that i found really cool
2: yeah yeah i mean i i really really loved the prose style um i found it quite like it was very like lush and sensual in a way that i'm not mm-hmm. necessarily used to finding in um in science fiction fantasy books and i know there are writers who who, who have kind of styles that approach this kind of thing um as well. She's not unique in, in that way. But it was very much more like a kind of literary style, I guess. Um to, right. to use the um i don't really i don't really like like the division between like sci-fi and fantasy and like literary fiction as like styles um i'm not going to go into it here because it's not really the place but it like <laughs> kind of annoys me but right. stuff that gets called literary science fiction where it has tends to have like a more like quote-unquote like literary style um is often stuff that i find easier to, to go along with and mm-hmm. this was this wasn't really that in that it wasn't like kind of like paired back and kind of like standard like literary pro style as i say it was much more lush and yeah it, inflected by things like folk tales and fairy tales and and poetry. And poetry. Um mm-hmm. yeah. Um and um and I, I really loved how um the prose style and, and the style of how it was written and structured um allowed for lots of little stories and lots of kind of little folk tales. So um I do actually agree with you about the the last third probably being the weakest. Um but um but some of the stuff that comes up in the last third I, I really, really like like um they visit. I can't even remember the name of the city. Um, mm-hmm. But um, they, they visit this kind of city that's kind of um, like moves pontoons. around. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there's this person they meet who tells this story about like it's like a 100 generations or something of their of, of their husband's family who've been coming back there every year or, or whatever. Right, the and, wandering
0: and architects. I yes. love that. I mean, that was the thing that stuck out to me so strongly in that whole section yeah. of like, we got to that and got this just kind of like folktale in the middle of like all the action happening. And I was like, oh, this is what I like about this. But <laughs> like, this is, you know, yeah. perfect in so many ways for me.
2: Yeah, and and um it was just like really wonderful and I was really pleased that the book allowed for that. Mm-hmm. Um and it, and yeah, so um and and the the whole way it described the the city and it had this like really unreal quality um without breaking the without breaking the kind of um tone or or kind of reality of the book. Um right. so yeah. I I, I really loved all that stuff and 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 it tied very much in with like what the book is actually saying like the the style and kind of that I didn't feel much of it much or any of a disconnect between like the style of the book and the story it was telling which is good.
0: Right. Absolutely. I think that's actually a really good point that the style was appropriate to the story. It never felt like it was taking, well, again, until kind of like at the very end of the book, again, for me, it's like, and this is, I think maybe just worth, like, I just need to get this out of my yes. system.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's Which is, fine. I
0: feel bad talking about what I didn't like up front because I liked the book so much, but it's so fresh mm-hmm. in my mind. And it was, it was just jarring to get to these points And it happened not only in the end of the book. There were also points in the first couple of thirds where something maybe more plot heavy or more actiony or whatever would happen. And I would feel a little bit like, oh, I feel like I don't actually know exactly what's going on. I don't have a picture in my head of what's happening here. I'm just kind of like told the effects of it after the fact almost. Um, And but that got but it was always the kind of thing where I was like, well, it's being told about like deep history in the past or it's like the characters are very emotional in the moment and it's just such a small element of the book that it it works overall for me and I never had a problem with it until towards the end when we started getting into like once Henry is shot and uh, Perdita the daughter is taken away Um, from then on it's sort of like the plot moves through I mean like there to the end of the novel, the last like hundred pages of the novel essentially could have been its own separate novel. (laughs) Oh my, Like someone else writing that, that would have been the novel is this like adventure story of like, you know, this like clockwork robot going to go find her daughter um, and writing letters to her, like, you know, loved one who's like been left behind, Uh, you know, and instead that's kind of like the end (laughs) of this novel, which which I appreciate. I I like that actually in a lot of ways that the novel sort of like, a lot of what it chooses to focus on is, is almost like what other novels would have as backstory or as maybe like flashbacks throughout it. Instead, that was like the main bulk of this novel. And I really enjoyed that. Um, but there were certain elements of, I remember specifically when they're in the tent with um, the current winder empress and, uh, and she's trying to like fix a niece and then there are, or Annalise and there are all these like, guards around and it's just like stuff is happening and people are being bitten and like people are being killed and it's like i have no idea how many people are in this room why no one's protecting certain people like it was just sort of like this like mash of stuff happening and a lot of it i think came down to the prose style which is is um both very florid and i mean that in a good way that sounds like kind of a judgment i don't i i mean that in a very good way but also like abstract in Mm. in its floridity and so i think some of that was like there were points where i kind of wanted just some concreteness of like this is what's happening this is where they are or to like have less of that action maybe and maybe have like just let some of that happen off screen or 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 something along those lines because i did feel at times like i was yeah like it wasn't a book about action and so when the action scenes came it was it was often kind of jarring to me almost
2: yeah so i i for the most part found the action scenes fine in the so so the scene you just talked about i found it relatively easy to follow i had to read it a few times so it was you know it wasn't as easy to follow as like a scene about like someone gardening or whatever yeah but um (laughs) but it um of which there are are a number in the book but um but i i didn't find it Massively confusing, but there were things that I found confusing, largely when there would be like a slightly oblique reference to something, and and I'd be like, is this something that I've already read about and I've forgotten, oh, um, or I hate, is yeah. this something that's going to come up later on? And then, so for example, the the main one for me, the thing that I haven't been able to get out of my head is, and this is in the latest, much later section of the book. So when we find out the the kind of secret of the Salt Lane witches, which is. Um, I now can't remember her name. Begins with M, <laughs> right? Um, right. Marg Margoth or something. Um, w- one of the Salt Lane witches who is in prison for twenty years gets let out um, due to a bribe, and she gets sent away with Perdita yes. to become her um, watcher, her guardian, or whatever. All that I could I could just wrap my head around, but there's a bit. But before that, we we have a kind of description of um, of how um, Rupetta and um, and I think Mar- Margus or, or no, it wasn't Margus at this point. It was um, her then Winder.
0: Right, right. The previous Winder, Judita.
2: They went to the salt lane witch's house and it, and it basically talks like it's like a traumatic experience and and it sounds kind of like they've been walking through a house after a massacre and and right. um, and how they can't talk about what's been happening and like and then they come back to the children and they're like oh like it's really awful and i'm like okay but we know that after this the other salt lane witch was still alive and living in that house so, right. I'm, uh, so i was very much just like i don't understand what's happened here and i'm pro- I'm gonna i'm likely going to reread it and i'll probably because i know there's like a whole history of the which is that we get earlier on and the history that we get in the like last third is like the secret like uncovered history but it's like i kind of wish we'd got more of the whole thing <laughs> at one go um because i'm very confused by what happened with them um and, yeah, so that was the main bit that I found like really confusing,
0: right, no, and i think I think that element of like there would be things that are just mentioned in this kind of almost nonchalant way, and I'm like, am I supposed to not know what this is, or am I actually supposed to know what this is? And I just have forgotten because you know, we mentioned this too before you know before we were recording a little bit, like the names have this element <laughs> of being like and a lot of like place names people names all all these names have this way of being like almost right or like almost real world names but being like off in some specific kind of way um i mean like the the daughter's name Perditas is, is an example of like i don't think that's a name i've ever heard before but it sounds reasonable, but it does mean that while I'm reading it, I kind of gloss over it very easily. And then after the fact, I'm like, Oh shit, I don't remember what that name actually, like I didn't actually stick in my head in any way. Um, I can recognize it, but not recall it essentially. Um, and then, you know, five chapters later, if I haven't, if it hasn't been brought up, maybe I don't even recall it. I'm like, is that a thing I remembered or not?
2: (laughs) Yeah, the, yeah, the names are are really going to be difficult to, to come up with on like the fly while we're recording because right. there are so many of them and they all go together. So I have now remembered, I think, the name of the Salt Lane Witch Guardian. I think she's Mathilde or yes. Mathilde. Yes, that's but I can't right. remember the name of the other Salt Lane Witch, so.
0: Right. There are also a lot of M names, like a lot of the women yeah. have names beginning in M, which is harder. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah like Mar-
0: matilde miri i mean rupetta is yeah. called miri for the majority of the novel um did that come as a surprise to you that that was rupetta because it's
2: by the time by the time it happened i had worked it out okay i yeah. think um so um i think i think when it first became apparent which was earlier on i was kind of like i was kind of I wasn't so much surprised, but I was kind of like, wouldn't she know that her girlfriend was mechanical? Okay,
0: exactly. That was that was I thought I had figured it out. And then they started hooking up and I was like, oh, I must have been wrong about that because they know in some way. And then it comes out again. I'm like okay but that that's also around the time that you learned that like rupetta is not purely mechanical that there is there are yeah. organic elements to her and that's a sort of like oh okay i've been thinking about her very much in the way of um you know like we talked about like the clockwork porcelain sort of like you know like handwriting machines mm. and stuff The 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 swiss kind of clockwork machines in the last episode and i'd been thinking of her like as that but it turns out that it's more than that. And, uh, and, you know, it's like just like the the like humans can have these hearts inserted in them. It sounds like the mounts also have like organic elements to them mm. that like there's this sort of like melding of machine. Uh, you know, this kind of comes in like even in some of the like discussions in the book of like organic and thing. Um, yeah. And that melding is sort of like the, the ideological goal. Of the kind of ruling class at this point in the in history, um, in the novel, yeah. Um, so actually, I I, I kind of like that. Like, I, I almost enjoyed the like. I figured it out. Then I thought I was wrong, and then I realized like, oh, what I was wrong about was like sort of my own like bias towards like, oh, Rupetta must just be like, you know, yes, like gears, and it's like no, she's more than that, and that's part of what's hard here, uh, yeah
2: and and there's the section right towards the end where she um where we see her actively changing her body so she takes that. on so she becomes like um a taller man basically Mm -hmm. is kind of the disguise she takes on she wants to appear like a man to to kind of casual observers and yeah so i so i found that really interesting and um, and we know that some of the material that she's made out of is like leather and like um Mm -hmm. i can't i now can't remember the name but i i did read a couple of reviews and people like blog posts about the book and someone talked about the idea that ripetta is made out of like traditionally female crafts like to do with like um I can 't remember the name i, I and I, I can't remember the word for like so, like worth like sewing and like that kind of thing, and so I find that mm-hmm. quite interesting because a lot of like more like female materials that like things like made out of are like more tactile and like movable and soft, so um so yeah, um, but no, um basically, I had a very similar experience to you where I was kind of like is she Rupetta? is she not Rupetta? um and and so by the time it became apparent that she was rupato i was kind of like okay yeah (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i believe it
2: (laughs) yes um
0: yeah it's a it's a it's interesting it's one of these novels where like if i get too far in the details i can like nitpick a lot and it's Mm. really easy it's almost like easier for me to nitpick but that those nitpicks actually didn't beyond a few didn't bother me that much while reading it. And instead the like big picture stuff, like what it's talking about, the general feeling that it is evoking while you're reading it. Um, I just loved, like I, you know, I think it's, it's a really, it's different. It's hard. You know, we were talking in the last episode about books that, you know, if you like book X, you might like book Y. Um, and almost, I feel almost after reading it, like, I have almost a harder time <laughs> of answering that question.
2: I have a really obnoxious answer to the question now. Oh, um, yeah. Because um, I I recently um, won a competition to get an advanced reading copy of the new Anne Leckie novel, <laughs> um, which is called The Raven Tower. I'm going to hold it up now so Adrian can see it. But essentially, you just Google it. The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. Oh, cool. Um, and, um, and so I'm not actually that far into it, but it's narrated by um, some kind of god character who is talking directly to um, a, a kind of human mortal character. And, um, and it has a lot of like the same kind of qualities of the narration of Ripetta. It's not quite as lush, but it's similar mm. in its tone and in the, in the way it's kind of like this immortal-ish character talking to a mortal character and like about stories and things. So I started reading it and I'm very much like, oh, wow. <laughs> this is making me think about ovary
0: oh that's cool so is it is when's it, it out? a science fictional novel or is it more fantasy ish or like it's what's fantasy? The, okay it's straight it's up her fantasy. fantasy
2: novel um it's out in february though so you know oh, if, if, cool. you, if, if, if you love Ruperta <laughs>
0: Cool. Yeah. One of the other things, um, you know, I was talking to someone who was reading like Neil Gaiman and asked if I had any recommendations. And I was like, oh, you know, Rupetta is very different in style from Neil Gaiman. Mm. But there is actually a certain element of like stories about stories and history and how history gets made, that it's sort of like themes that Gaiman will bring up a lot, especially I think in the Sandman comics. Like I'd almost say yeah. like Rupetta's closest of all of his stuff to the Sandman comics from the from the like early nineties. Um mm. which I love those comics and I'm honestly not a huge fan of Neil Gaiman's like novels and stuff. And I find like uh, i I don't love Neil Gaiman, but like i it did actually make me think of the Sandman comics that he wrote, and I know there's also um a new like the Sandman comics have been like there's a new author writing them um and it's yeah. supposed to be really really good um so i'm almost kind of curious to like pick it up because it's a it's a black woman author and you know i get the sense that it's a, again about these kind of folk tales and folk stories and so i'm, I'm curious to pick those up uh, after rupetta as well uh, yeah
2: yeah neil gaiman is someone that where i always think oh that idea sounds really good and then i read it and i'm a bit like eh.
1: yeah <laughs> um, yeah she's
2: my my feeling with Neverwhere, which. Um, I've read multiple. I've read like Neverwhere like three or four times. Each time, like hoping it's going to be better than it <laughs> is. Um, but um, I've mostly read it because I've written fan fiction for Neverwhere because <laughs> it's like magical London setting, so that's right. fun. Um, but um, but but no, I, I I know what you mean in that kind of like preoccupation with stories and mythology and stuff. I think a lot of a lot of like speculative fiction talks about like that kind of um, that kind of aspect of. St- storytelling i don't know what i mean by that kind of aspect i think a lot of science fiction fantasy talk about aspects of storytelling and mythology um Mm -hmm. and and it doesn't always land for me um Mm -hmm. so one of the things i really like to write is it's it's a story that kind of talks about stories where the message isn't just stories are important thank you because so much stuff when people talk like oh everything's a story the world is made of stories (laughs) stories are so important it's like oh fuck's sake tell me something else right so this is a book that is kind of about stories and it actually has something to say that isn't just like self-regarding like self-aggrandizing like I'm a storyteller and a storyteller is the most important thing which I (laughs) mean that drives me up
0: the wall (laughs) that's the thing with Gaiman especially later Gaiman that I just like I like want to like hit my head against the table when I'm reading it and you know I think there's something to that, like the thing that in particular that can rub me the wrong way about that sort of attitude, not just Neil Gaiman had, you know, I don't want to pick on him in particular. <laughs> um, I mean, I do because he's punching it. up, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Neil Gaiman doesn't give a shit about what I think. Uh, but the uh, the there can be this element of like stories are so powerful and so important. <sighs> And then also stories are good. And it's like, well, yes, those two things like might not always go together. Right. And I think that's something Rupetta yeah. gets really right of like stories and history is really important and like is used by the ruling class to oppress people.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes. It's like, yes, um, exactly.
0: That's that's more yeah. accurate. Ultimately,
2: yeah. And um and, and the way it kind of um builds up this idea of history and and the kind of big dominant stories and then undercuts them is one of the things I i, I think I talked mm-hmm. about this in the last episode as like a reader like, but I'm just gonna quickly mention it again because now I can actually talk with spoilers. Um uh, it kind of reminds me of Jonathan Stranger, Mr. Norrell. Yeah. And so um, Clark, spoilers right? for Jonathan Stranger and Mr. Norrell, I guess. Um, but do you mind if I yeah it's not like yeah. Gonna...
0: I think that's you know, to skip ahead if you, you know, hit the plus 30 seconds a few times if you don't want to hear about that book I guess
2: <laughs> yeah so so Susanna Clark has um talked in um uh- uh, crooked Timber I think I might have mentioned this last time mm-hmm. as well but she talked about like the idea of um, wanting to write a story where there's um, the real story is happening in the background kind of in the cracks between the big the story that you're actually being told mm-hmm. and how um, you kind of slowly realize like what's actually happening and so that's really interesting in this in that there are various aspects of what you find out at the end that you're told earlier on like with the Salt Lane Witches and yeah. stuff where and that's part of like wondering like is this something that I'm going to to be told about is this something that i have to kind of infer is this something that it doesn't actually matter um yeah and so and so that's like a really interesting aspect of like the history like like the the real history is like what's happening in the cracks right and then i find that really interesting when you can and you talked about like um earlier about the idea of um the way the book ends almost at the place where a lot of other books would start um mm-hmm. and so um and then i find it really interesting that the end of the book is actively like and now we are out of history like we are actively right, not taking part right, in history anymore disappeared
0: from history you know what you're yeah. like talking ab- about all this both about the like kind of like stories about stories as well as like the idea of like the real stories happening in the crack makes me realize that like Nomon by nick harkaway which we've also read on the podcast like weirdly also shares a lot of these themes like i i had some mm. of the same conversation about neil gaiman and like you know stories are powerful which means they can be dangerous i think on one of those episodes and um yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting it's almost like you know like if Nomon is the, like, you know, very, like, male science fiction-y version of the story, then, like, Rupetta is the, like, very, like, female, you know, sort of, like, poetic version of the story in certain ways. Um, but they actually share some of these themes and ideas of, like, you know, the end being outside of history and the, like, real story kind of, like, happening in the cracks and it almost being, like, a puzzle that you have to, like, puzzle out in certain ways as the reader, you know. I mean, it's one thing... Rupetta required me to be a very active reader like certain novels I think science fiction novels especially we talk about escapism and part of that escapism is not just like oh it's spaceships and aliens and stuff but it's also like it's plot, it's straightforward. I can just sit down and read, and I'm just being told what's happening, and it's fun. And it's easy, you know, yes. it's not, it's like that doesn't mean that it's necessarily like not challenging or intelligent or doesn't have anything to say, but it is easy in this way. It's like given to you. Whereas Rupetta felt at times like I was. You know, again, I think to your point, this is where the prose style and the story it's telling like mesh really well and maybe part of why I liked the first two thirds, which were historical or in an academic setting the most because the prose style made me feel like an academic, like Pouring over yes. things and trying to understand what was going on um, in a way that like maybe didn't serve the kind of like plot action stuff as much, but really served like it made me feel like I was, you know, sitting in the stacks with Henry.
2: <laughs> at yes. Times. Oh, I, I loved all the stuff about Henry living in the stacks and like building like a little house in the library. Um that it was, was a nightmare it was for just, me. it was so like wish fulfillment Eve, in a really good way <laughs> because you know, it's someone who um someone who went to a university with like one of like the world's like right. big like famous libraries right. and just like very much understanding that feeling of like crawling into the stacks and the way that she's just kind of left to it and and she's not really supposed to and she would be kicked out but no one notices right. because she is like the person who burrows it and oh yeah i really loved all of that so th- um, and th- no i d- i sorry i was just going to say yeah. i totally get what you mean about like um about finding it finding re- reading it uh, towards the beginning almost like an academic experience um, because I was like googling like place names because it often doesn't say which country it's taking place in and mm-hmm. and um, so a certain amount of it has to be inferred but I would be like googling place names and people's names and so when I was like a third in I started making loads of notes being like is this about Gnosticism which <laughs>
1: <Like, laughs> is something I don't know anything about but I was like
2: I was like googling character names and being like so I'm just going to read out a note that I made I Montaigne, Day. The last Cathar, because you, there's someone called um, Blabaste. I'm like, this person was from Languedoc, which is the place that this is named. And I'm like, and then I've like written all these notes about like this like Gnostic like martyr being like, is this about Gnosticism? Gnosticism <laughs> is about like the mind body duality. Like I should look at what Gnosticism is. And then I was like, is it going to be a parable? And I don't really think it is. But um, but <laughs> it was just like a case of being like, well, like have I cracked? the code um but it's it's kind of that kind of thing where you can like google things and just like get really deep in the weeds like i'm sure you could like make a thesis about like the plants that are named in the book and yeah.
0: Right. And I think that's the way in which, you know, sometimes doing like that kind of original academic work can make you feel like either I'm discovering something entirely new or I'm a crazy person and I'm not quite sure what it is until I show it to my advisor.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know. Have you seen have you seen community?
0: No, I know. There's I know what it a- is. But I haven't seen it ever.
2: Yeah, there's, there's there's a character in Community who um who who runs a class called Who's the Boss in Who's the Boss or something, or maybe it's just called Who's the Boss. And so he's like got this like kind of murder board type thing with like string everywhere and like it's like all the characters in Who's the Boss. And then there's a bit where someone's like, "This is crazy," and he's like, I, or like you're a crazy fan." He's, like, "I'm not a fan. I am an academic." <laughs> he's like pointing at it with a stick, and it's like, "I always think about that." It's just yeah,
0: that's that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, so the, um, just quickly talking about the stacks. So I, I, at Yale, I worked in the stacks for like my freshman year. And so the actual experience of like being in the stacks for like hours every day was nightmarish in a lot
2: of ways. Yes. I, I can imagine. <laughs>
0: and so reading those sections of the book like actually like started triggering this anxiety at points of like, cause I, at one point when I was working there, I just like, the intake room is in the basement and the building itself is this yeah i don't know if you've ever seen the yale library it's an insane building it's like a it was designed to be a cathedral to books, so it's in the style yeah. of a cathedral um and, but it's much taller than any cathedrals i mean it's it's huge it's like a 10 12 story building something like that so it's like a giant like stone skyscraper designed to look like a yeah. cathedral to like education. I mean, it's, it's insane. It's stupid, insane. In, in, in a way that like only Yale can be, um, but like inside it's like this, the, you know, it's like, everything's very short um the ceilings everything's very close and it's just like musty old books everywhere and you know the points where like yeah. there's times where she's like going through these like old musty you know boxes that have been left to mold and that kind of thing and i'm like oh yeah i remember doing that and i remember getting like you know a sinus infection that lasted for like two weeks afterwards because of it <laughs> you know like yes. I, remember, I remember the like reality of being in these things but also like yeah there are those corners where like sometimes i'd be in there and i'd like get to you know there were these desks in the stacks kind of like built into the stacks that like the grad students could like check out and every now and again, you'd get to one that was like piled with books and like blankets and like sodas and stuff. And you're like, is someone living here? Cause it looks like there's a grad student essentially living here right now. I,
2: I've definitely come across someone who'd like written a story on like a website once, maybe Reddit or something, where they were like, "Yeah, I moved to New York and couldn't afford an apartment, so I live in a library, like a twenty-four hour library." And they had like all this like stuff where they'd like rented a corral or something, um, and basically had like shut themselves into like the tiniest room. Um, and horrifying. Um, I mean, living in New, New York, actually, I believe. <laughs> yes. I, um, I applied for, um, when I was in my final year at Oxford, I applied for a job as one of the librarian trainees at the Bodleian. And I got an interview for the role of, like, arts and humanities trainee, and I did not get the job. And I suspect if I had got the job, <laughs> I would have been quickly disabused of any notion of it being, like, romantic job in the Bodleian library. Because the Bodleian is, I'm sure, also, like, a nightmare hellscape as a worker. Um, because the Bodleian is um, was not built in all one project. and oh, right. um, And so it has, like, all these weird reading rooms are kind of like on top of each other there's like the Duke Humphrey library which is the oldest one and then there's like the old reading the upper reading room the lower reading room and then (laughs) that's all like kind of one building but also they're all really different and they look really different and um and like yeah and then there's like the Radcliffe camera which is like the famous picture of the Bodleian like if you know what the Bodleian looks like you probably know this building it's like a big dome and then there's like the new reading room anyway oxford has more than 100 libraries in the (laughs) the city and it's not a big city um uh, yeah it's it's very wild and um and i'm sure there's a lot of like breathing in ancient manuscripts and getting sick from it and (laughs) um and, and my main memories of it now are things like revising for finals in the duke humphrey next to like a random boy in my year doing English, and us deciding to skive off and go and get food at Sainsbury's instead, and like <laughs> eating outside the library because you were not allowed to take anything in but and that kind of thing. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things where like going to that kind of university with that kind of big library, it, it looms very large in like my memory and like the imagination of it. So and phys- um, physically,
0: I mean, like like the Yale yeah. and I'm sure the Oxford ones, are, it's like there are these purposefully physically imposing and. Lo- looming objects
2: yes yeah um and um and my my college library so the way oxford works is there are like 30 odd like colleges that like make up the university so you're a member of the university but you're also a member of a college and each college has its own library which is part of why there are so many libraries in the um, in the city and so my college library was a converted norman church um oh wild and um and that and then um the library would be open till like 2 or 3 a.m but then there was a vestry at the back of the church that would be open all night for like <laughs> the sad people who were working there and i was always a like last minute person so i would always be like sitting in this vestry at like 4 a.m <laughs> writing my essays so it was kind of like i lived in the library um <laughs> and and i'd like go out to the kebab van like sneak a burger back into the, it was not a great time anyway i'm really getting off topic but it was very much like an active part of my life in a way that i really appreciated um like like even in the book it kind of feels romantic but you're also kind of like oh i really wish you had an apartment <laughs> i really wish right. you had a proper bed somewhere so when Marie comes and saves her you're a bit like oh thank
0: god there's a very palpable sense of relief of like okay good (laughs) finally (laughs) that's right living amongst like the plants is better for you than living in like the basement stack somewhere
1: yeah I think it does speak to
0: the you know the fact that nike is a is an academic like comes through in the book it's like yeah she's clearly writing about stuff that she knows <laughs> you know whether or not yes. she ever lived in the stacks herself like that the sense that i think looms large for folks who have been at these, like, uh, research academic institutions of, like, mm. the library's there. It's important, even if you don't spend a lot of time in it. And, like, it's hard not to spend a lot of time in it. I mean, I, too, you know, I was always a terrible student. But, you know, be part of being a terrible student means, like, oh, yeah, those late night. Like, I spent three nights in a library in a row at one point, you know. I <laughs> was the only yeah. one. There was, like, a, you know, we, we would build, like, these, you know... <laughs> like temporary like camps essentially in the library during finals where it's you know there might be 10 of you and like there's going to be six out of that group at any given point and people are slowly bringing blankets and pillows and sleeping and you know also like crushing Adderall and snorting it you know and like the whole kind of like (laughs) yeah thing there of like as we kind of like live and then we finally like you know post our papers and like go to sleep in our own apartments finally
2: (laughs) yeah I mean this is very much what the college libraries are like in Oxford during finals time because the way Oxford works also is my finals, in my final year, um, finals, also known as final honour schools, also known as schools to the older <laughs> um, alumni. Um, the way it works is um, instead of doing modules or like separate classes that are examined at various points, everything's examined right at the end. Right, And so my entire degree, pretty much, there were three I I had eight papers, which my entire degree was based on. Three of those were based on essays that had been submitted at various other points. Five of them were decided by six exams, which took place over eight days. Shit. That was my entire undergrad degree. So like three
0: years built up to those exams and that was it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd had exams in first year, so this was the second second and third year. But I mean, the the exams in first year didn't determine anything for my final degree classification. But yeah, it's very much like that. And so it's like incredibly intense and very arcane in a way that I felt Um, I felt quite a lot of kinship to the way that like there's this very like weird like arcane structure of like the academic world in this Mm -hmm. book where it's kind of like the historians who are good get to go into grad school and then they get their own like mechanical hearts if they want. And it's not like you don't get a sense of it being like and there are like alternate routes and different subjects like you don't think this is a faculty that looks kindly on like modern studies (laughs) or, or like that is like kind people who like. Don't do well in like very prescribed exam environments. It's um, in the way that Oxford is similar. It's similarly right. a traumatic place to be a student. But the way, Oxford is constantly like there's a big gender gap between how people achieve maybe how how do we deal with that and it's like I, um, I don't know you've got an education faculty why don't they look into it let's just put on extra revision sections for women because the problem is that women aren't revising properly as opposed to we still have a system based on how like um you know aristocratic enough middle class men did their exams 100 years ago anyway
0: right no, relevant, no i'm just I mean,
2: angry i think forever. it is
0: actually a little bit relevant um this is really interesting because i know A little bit about the British education system, which obviously the Australian education system and Rupetta's education system are based on much more so than the American system, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. it's four instead of three years. There isn't this split between first year and the other years. And we do have classes. I mean, you know. There's like kind of mm. a final thesis at certain at certain colleges, mine included. Um, but essentially, like you go through, you take enough credit hours and enough credit hours, like within your degree and major and everything. And you get a degree. Um, maybe yeah. you have to complete one thesis, which is essentially, you know, for me, that was just a year long class that I took my senior year and had to write yeah. a long paper at the end of um, and so that's a yeah it's it's interesting to hear that because that actually like sheds some light on some of the like structures of what she was doing and how it changed over the the course of the academic year for her
2: yeah I mean I mean a lot of UK um universities are not like that um <laughs> but um but and, and in Scotland um they're a bit more like US universities in that it's a four-year degree and um you start out by taking three subjects and you end up specializing a bit more but um hmm. but universities like oxford and cambridge and stuff you kind of definitely go there and you do like one thing or possibly two things if they're like two things that go together like there are people who do english and history as like a set degree right
0: um it's kind of funny because so yale is like very explicitly modeled after oxford and cambridge from the Mm. architecture to the fact like we also have colleges um yeah but Unlike Oxford, the colleges are purely like their houses. They're not. They don't actually have any yeah. academic thing associated with them. They have their own libraries. The libraries are a joke. <laughs> like, it's a lot of yeah. trade paperbacks and stuff. I mean, you know, it's not a research library in any way. Um, but it's, you know, it's like we, like, have aped all of these like outward, you know, kind of like this facade of like, look at how Oxbridge it is. Uh, But underneath, it's just like any other American four-year university where you take a bunch of classes, and a lot of them are big lecture classes, and, you know, there's no tutoring or anything like that.
2: I mean... I mean Oxford has its up points and you do get like a lot of you do get a lot more like one on one time with like top academics than you do at yeah. probably most other universities to teach undergrads, but yeah, but it also leaves a lot to be desired and is like and is that kind of weird environment where it's kind of like a hot house, like like I, I feel like i feel like all these people fighting to see who gets like this horrifying like um like mechanical heart <laughs> is just such an interesting like it's such an interesting like metaphor for like <laughs> academic achievement right right
0: right it's like, like, you're, and, like it might
2: kill you it's like you're still fighting
0: for your it. degree is that you can't communicate with other human beings anymore
2: <laughs> yeah i i just th- there's th- the stuff about like how the mechanical hearts might kill people like her mother died from trying to get like this mechanical heart transplant by the way there's a point really late on where henry's like oh this is what my mother died from i'm like yeah of course that's what your mother died from (laughs) (laughs) i'm like that the book made that clear like 100 pages ago um but but yeah but like it's it's really horrifying she like is viscerally horrified by it and and everyone is like oh yeah this is my tattoo of what my heart's gonna. oh look like. i and love that you posted yes. that
0: on twitter at one point the like yeah. tattoos or the like gluing pieces of metal on and where your heart is to be like look at what it's gonna be i thought that was so clutch like it was so cool yeah. like such a cool little poetic detail um, i loved it i did it, too it was
2: really she was really good at showing the kind of culture that would build up around something like this like um and and, like all these people whose like main aim in life is to is to is to have their heart ripped out and replaced <laughs> by um a kind of clockwork thing, and yeah, it was just really wonderful um and and i and i really love the writing around uh, there's a scene where jenon who's kind of like her academic mentor is Mm -hmm. like look i've got a treat to show you and it's this like oily heart and she like (laughs) faints she's like (laughs) but she has to pretend that she wants it still because and and she's still trying to convince herself that this is something she she wants at this point right and then she has to because it's like to to say she doesn't want it is would to be basically being a heretic right
0: um right well and that's that was interesting about her mother like her mother died from you know essentially like Mm. complications and surgery but because of the ideology they've built up these like rupetian fourfold laws which like you are essentially that like you shouldn't have to die and like you know Mm. it meant that she wasn't buried like in the customs and it's like because her body couldn't accept this heart it meant that like she was tainted somehow like yeah i don't know that that really, like, that was the point of the novel where I started to realize, like, oh, this culture is, like, deeply fucked up in a way that, you know, <laughs> like, you're not seeing so much because Henry is so, like, you know, and, and I, this mm. actually felt very, like, true to my experience of, like, you know, young girl from the countryside goes to, like, the greatest academic institution in the land and is so, like, enthralled by it and like to the point of like learning all these horrible things and still being enthralled up into a point where she like can't be anymore. And like, you know, obviously like Yale doesn't like literally tear out your heart and give you a mechanical (laughs) one or anything like that. But I think, you know, it's this way of kind of literalizing some of the stuff of like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like, you know, you have this idea of these institutions in your head, especially being from a place where it's like you see it in movies, essentially. Um, And then, you know, go there and you're like, Oh, but they're people. And, not everyone's right. And like, there are these whole weird, you know, I mean, so I did a linguistics degree and you know, it's very, it's like Chomsky and linguistics at Yale. And it is. So it, the whole thing is like the entire degree is built around the like ideas of one person. And right. And it's like, yeah. Okay. On the one hand, it's supposed to be this like academic, like trying to find truth. And then on the other hand, it's like, I mean, we got to the point in the, in the degree where I was like, well, what am I studying here? I'm I'm drawing these, like, trees and doing, like, logic, but, like, how is this language? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's like simply asking that question, like, would just get you kind of blank stares by the, like, you know, by my advisors and stuff. It's like, oh, okay, I guess this is, you know, it's a very weird feeling of, like, you get so deep into the thing that you're studying or or whatever it is and it's really hard to like pull out and be like oh but what am i doing and like how does this relate to the real world and you know
2: yeah. i think
0: some institutions are better than others at this and some just like fields of study are better than others at this right like this is something that like like uh anthropology has had to deal with like in throughout its entire history. And so it at least like has a kind of like whole line of thought. And history too. I mean to to take it back to Rupetta, right? Like historiography, the idea of like what is history? Like what are the stories that we're writing? Like what does truth actually mean? What can you actually know? Like these are questions that historians have had to deal with literally since like heterodox, since the like very first Western historians. Like people have been grappling with these questions and before even. Um, and that's really Herodotus not heterodox um <laughs> I realized I totally flipped those in my head um but you know whereas so like I guess I guess what I'm saying is that's something that the book also did well like for being a book about stories and people like debating what is history it like happened in a very natural way because yeah. they're academics who deal with this of course they're going to be talking about it
2: yeah. Yeah, I found a lot of the stuff with Jenon really interesting, especially when she um th- th- there's a point it seems when she's like quite close to Jennon and his family, like she goes to his house, she meets his wife um and 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 his kids um and he's yeah, he's basically her academic mentor and advisor. Mm. Um and and I found it really interesting um that relationship and the way that the one of the other things that the metaphor of the heart is used for is kind of to um when when people are sick and and basically can't take it they're basically slowly vanished and people don't talk about it they're just like okay that person is gone and 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 i found that like a really horrifying (laughs) metaphor for how a lot of people drop out of like um, graduate school and like post-grad studies and then it's like we do not talk about them and and like there's such a high rate of like um dropping out and like mental illness and stuff like um there was a point where me and like my two best friends um doing post-grad were like comparing our like antidepressants (laughs) because it was. Like, For sure. and and you know I'd go to see a doctor and she'd be like what antidepressants are your friends taking Like, <laughs> so she could like work out what to suggest that I take so the whole thing is just like completely oh, fucked um, no but, that's, so I found that's
0: that- very very apt we in, in my undergraduate career like it was a thing that like we knew of like you couldn't tell the institution too much about what like mental illnesses you had because Yale yeah. was very quick to just kick people out if they had any signs of, like, any kind of suicidal depression because they didn't want mm. that, like, on their own hands. Yeah. They'd rather you, like, went off and committed suicide somewhere else, essentially. And um, a really, yeah. like, like I say that cynically because they were very cynical and bad about it. Um, and it led to, like, you know, even worse mental health issues <laughs> at the school. yeah And that idea of, like oh yeah there are these like major medical issues that are constantly simmering under the surface and everyone just treats as normal and like when it gets too bad for someone it's like their fault and they need to get shoved out of the way it's super real
2: basically yeah i mean oxford has this thing where called rustication where um basically if you are And generally, I think it's used for illness and stuff. And I think there are probably other reasons it's used. But basically, what it means is... So if you're sent down, you're kicked out. If you're rusticated, Mm -hmm. then you're not actually kicked out. But you're put on, like, suspension. And they basically try and ban you from the city. They're literally like, you're not allowed in Oxford.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
2: people have pointed out, like, they're not actually allowed to do that. Like, like, that's not actually legal. But yeah, it's really strange. And and basically, if they think that you're not... If your college thinks you're not going to get a 2-1 which is um, up a second class degree. They're basically like, um, they're basically like, yeah, we, we will send you down. Um, if, if you're in a humanity subject if you're in a science subject then a certain amount of people have to get tutus so it's on a bell curve um, anyway oh, this this podcast is rapidly becoming let's listen to me talk about my oxford related trauma <laughs> yeah right but for so, real
0: it's like college yeah. therapy for th- <laughs> yeah <laughs> for all
2: but, the therapy um, but, i didn't get in but college is that quite, it is a book that is very much like you know um about that and and it is interesting how, uh, how you were saying about how she starts out enamored and she kind of continues to be enamored by it until suddenly she's like Oh fuck this! Right. Well, until um,
0: essentially her academic advisor like tries to murder her.
2: Yes, I know. <laughs> Which I, I felt really betrayed by this.
0: <laughs> I know that was actually something that I felt like I wanted a little bit more of it. Of yeah,
2: I, I wanted more. And like of Henry's him.
0: story too. Just in the end, like felt like it got cut off really quickly and just sort of like Mm. shoved to the side in a way that like was another problem I had with the last third of the book. But like this feeling of like, you know because there's points where Janon is like very hard on her but it feels like kind of like in this like okay like he's this really privileged dude who thinks that like oh she's like underprivileged so the best way to like teach her strength is to like be hard on her essentially and it's yeah. like that feels very real but ultimately like he thinks he loves her and has her best interest in mind so when he mm. shoots her when he doesn't actually know where she's coming from like that whole thing felt a little bit like i was like where's this coming from what what is this exactly because that feels a little bit almost like like i wasn't quite sure where he was coming from at that point and like what his role because the 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 what's what's the name of the like the the penitents is that is that it
2: penitents
0: penitence yeah they like there's there's some combination of like they're academics they're priests and they're almost like holy warriors or like guards yeah. of some sort
2: which yeah, you don't it's, realize it's until
0: after that point or at least i didn't
2: yeah yeah it's it's very much like an incredibly centralized power system where Mm -hmm. yeah basically those three things kind of go together and because the religion is kind of like history almost and then and they are the people who are kind of responsible for holding up the order and the order is like how various countries um are are being run like it seems france australia i assume a lot of the rest of the world um And, um, yeah, so one of the things I'd found really compelling about him as a character before then is the way that he, as her advisor, seemed to tolerate a certain amount of, like... Not, not really dissent, but a certain amount of like writing about things that, that, um, that kind of verge on questionable in terms of like the true history. Um, and then there's, it's like there's a point that she can't really tell what the tipping point is where suddenly he's going to be like, this is unacceptable. Right. And he, so he seems tolerant of her up until a point when suddenly he's not tolerant. And that's kind of totally unfathomable in a way that I found quite real but um but yeah you're right that when he shot her i was kind of like i really wanted to know more about it but it's like after that he kind of vanishes from the book
0: yeah that's his last scene i think at all yeah um yeah there's a you know and there is something about that that's like right like if your job as an academic is to like produce like thoughtful people then one of the thing you need to do is help them think you know about things and question things and all of that so that always Mm. felt like very real of like you know this there's also you know often this sense of like you know if there's a story that you tell the masses often the people in power know it's a story Mm. and so if you're you know building up new people to be in power some of what you're doing is like helping them understand the ways in which it is a story but also like you know doing it with like plausible deniability almost of like Mm. you know yeah if you run away and say like everyone knows this is a story like we will be able to deny that that's the case but you know ultimately yeah that's right Mm. (laughs) um it might be worth talking a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the world building and some of the like history yes. and religion and heresy and like all of these elements. I know you had some stuff you wanted to say about that um, and because it, it's in, it's wild.
2: Yeah, well, some of it I kind of touched on my earlier thoughts about it when I talked about how I'd come up with this whole like wild theory about it relating <laughs> to um, Gnosticism, which I don't actually think is... It's really part of it all that and and I don't really know enough about Gnosticism. It's one of, it's one of those things where I tried to read about it and I was just kind of like I literally cannot wrap my head around this. Mm-hmm. Um I come from a I come from a very um atheistic background mm-hmm. and so trying to wrap my head around it doesn't really work. Um in, in in the sense I was trying to, like, you know, I'm sure if I read a book on it I'd have a slightly better grasp. But um but so one of the things that that is clearly in the book is that um, the, the g- different groups are fighting about whether or not there is and should be like a hard divide between like the body and the spirit and like right. the body and the soul, um, which is kind of like a religious idea and, and is a religious idea in, in reality, but is also a religious idea in the book in Slightly in in ways that are kind of created by the book, so that the, whatever the, the word term is, is like a religious order um, right. that is used to kind of shore up this um, regime. And so the people who um, who follow the false winder and the false Rupetta and and the Rupertan order are people who believe that basically the human body is like i'm trying to think of the way because it's not really that it's a prison because it's not that they want to get get actually get out of the body basically believe it's like it's fallible
0: in a way that it doesn't need to be
2: yeah and that it's somehow perfectible and so they believe that like the destiny of like humanity is to follow petter's footsteps and to like replace components of themselves mostly the heart with a mechanical version that can be um that can be like maintained and like kept and they can like oil it and they can replace parts in it and then they will not have to die and so in in the kind of final confrontation between the false winder and rupetta there's a bit where the false winder is like says something like how dare you like try to like kill us or or kill me or whatever you do not have to like you have like eternal life Um, like you are holding it for yourself like the secret of this right Um,
0: and there's something compelling about that like in that scene it was actually something I was struck by was like yeah the idea of Rupetta killing humans was like terrifying in a way of like it does you do see her like inhumanity and her monstrousness like in those moments Like I like, like that was the one point where I was like, oh, I kind of, I see what you mean. I'm <laughs> not <laughs> going to say I agree with you, but I like to see where you're coming from here.
2: Yeah. I mean, because Rupetta is like, no, you shouldn't have this thing I have. Right. And so, um, and so. I mean, and well, like, and
0: Rupetta is like, well, I don't want it. So yeah. why would you? And it's like, well, <laughs> the idea that like, yeah, you don't want it because you don't know the opposite is like fair, actually, a little bit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> And, and I mean, essentially, um, as the book wants me to, I think um, I, I come down on the side of Henry and Rupetta and not on the mm-hmm. side of like mm-hmm. the evil Rupetans. Um But yeah, it is definitely a thing where you're kind of like, well, I don't want to die. Um like, the idea of this kind of eternal life that they think can be achieved, if if it could be achieved, like, for everyone, like, you can definitely see why people would go along with it, right? But then mm-hmm. part of the problem is that essentially what they want is not possible, rather than it necessarily being... It's not yeah. possible, and it's, like, a bad thing to, to aim for in that way, because, like, we see the way that the people who can't achieve it are kind of quashed, and, and the way that in order to, like, attempt for it, they basically have to kill people, and, like, oppress people and repress people um Mm -hmm. and um and essentially it's like this kind of false idea that they have like raised up in their in their minds because rupetta is not something that humans can aim to be right um Mm -hmm. but rather than it being like yes you are all able to become exactly like me um but i don't want you to if that makes sense it's like yeah definitely definitely yeah and the you know and i think the other
0: element of this is that you know for for all that what the repentance the false repentance whatever like want is 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 understandable in a way also their methods and like you know there's like the one hand there's like their beliefs which are you know what they are and Mm -hmm. then there's also the like power structures that they use those beliefs to like prop up and this is the kind of element where it's like the religion and the ruling class are very much the same thing in this world. And, you know, they, they explicitly talk a bit about, you know, the wars that they've gone through and the empire that they've created. And, you know, like kind of like using Rupetta as a figurehead for like uniting people, but also like, you know, oppressing like a huge chunk of the world. It feels like, it feels like they have actually, you know, like they're a super state very like much earlier than there are super states, like in our timeline. Um, which is kind of, it was just kind of interesting that there's this element of, you know, you know, using eternal life, which is, you know, frankly, like what the Christian religion <laughs> uses in in its own different way, mm. um, to be like, we, you know, we have the right to take people over, to oppress them, to rule over them. Um, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing was, was, I don't know if I have a complete thought there so much as like that was really interesting to me and I really liked the idea of like you know this the miracle of Rupetta like Rupetta like coming to life and being human Mm. as the basis of like not just religion but like a you know like a religion of power like a ruling class religion that is used to subjugate people was like really interesting and obviously you know it's sort of like the actual story of the book, even though it's in the background for for a lot of it, you know, it is one of these things that it's like, I think this is a lot of the, the kind of the the point of the book, but it's a really important part of the book that is very much, I mean, like I'm, I'm I'm finding I'm enjoying the book more and more, the more I talk about it with you. Like it's very much a book to be talked about and dissected and, you know, kind of figure out what it means. Um, And reading it alone can at times feel like that crazy part of academia where you're like going too deep into the source material yes. and don't know what's real and what's in your head yeah. and then like this is like seminar where you get to <laughs>
2: figure some of that
0: out yeah i mean
2: i've been desperate to talk about the book so this is like all pouring <laughs> out me and, and one of the things i think is really interesting then is you mentioned like it's this idea of like eternal life that is like different from like the christian idea of eternal life right. which is uh, you know which is very much about like the spirit whereas this is kind of about like them wanting to live forever in their bodies right um, yeah. and in the previous episode um I, I i mentioned the 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 descartes fable about descartes daughter which is like a a right. kind of apocryphal story about descartes having built a mechanical daughter um which was kind of part of the animating spirit behind the book I think um um, and so one of the things I find interesting then is the way that the religion in this book is kind of based um like like the ruling class religion is in some ways kind of based on like um the early that the writing of Descartes and like early ideas of like um science modern science like the the kind of beginnings of modern science and so if it's okay i was just going to read out a little bit of her acceptance speech for repetta um at the Hip tree awards so i think it really relates to this so she said um descartes is of course perhaps most famous for the ideas he laid down his discourse of the method and principles of philosophy it is here that he decides that the only thing we can know without any doubt is that we are thinking beings that we think and therefore we are And then she says, My second wish is that we will continue and finally complete the work of undoing the false assumption expressed so powerfully by Descartes that it is our minds, our intellects, that are our only truth, that our bodies are merely the vessels in which we live. I want to find a way to convince you to understand that we think with our bodies and feel with our minds, that we feel and therefore we are. And so I think that's really interesting in a way where we can kind of read the 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 way that she's created the religion as kind of people saying we think and therefore we are and and because there's there's all this stuff about like um people wanting to like do work in their gardens and like with their hands and bodies and her talking about like we feel and think with our bodies like we are our bodies there is no separating us from the bodies that we are in um and yeah and so i think that's just like an interesting thing that was just like buzzing in the back of my brain i was suddenly thinking about it just now i was like oh oh yeah I didn't talk about this so yeah
0: right no i think that's a really good point and it's you know i think too you know you bring up the james tiptree award where you know which is obviously award for mm. s- feminist science fiction science fiction with elements that are about gender and femininity whatever whatever exactly they're they're what they call it is um and how some of this is like the idea of women's work which Mm. you've brought up too in terms of like rupetta is kind of like made of women's like craft work like just craft work um and then also the the gardening and these kinds of like you know these things the the hedge witches and education Mm. and all this these different elements of like you know, things that are in some way, at least like traditionally women, the role of like women in society and sometimes even the role of like, you know, women in society who aren't supposed to have those really, you know, the cases of the witches, which is, you know, what is a witch, but like a woman with like knowledge and power. Right. Yeah. Um, And so there's this, I I don't know, I don't have a full form thought here, but there's something interesting kind of about this like combination of like feeling like being through feeling and doing as opposed to being through thinking, but also like, you know, kind of like masculine thoughts about the world versus feminine thoughts about the world, at least in terms of how they're often displayed in society and the questions of like, you know, like what makes this a feminist science fiction novel some of it is these like ideas that aren't actually about gender necessarily, Mm. but are about like ways of being in the world. Um, You know, say similar to like what makes it a queer science fiction novel. Well, like obviously there are like women who love each other and engage in sexual relationships, but also there are just like people who exist outside of the like usual, like society's usual structures. And I think particularly using a word like queer is often used to be like, it's more than just you know yeah. who do i fall in love with right yeah, there's like political. more to it than that
2: yeah yeah um and and one of the, and, and i guess one of the interesting things in this book is part of the alternate history part of the world is that women are the um i i'm i can never pronounce this word but i'm gonna try um the hegemonic order like the the yep. hegemony is like these false the false winder and like the false repetter, and they mm. are they are ahead but it's like it, um it's the the false winder and the um, the consort the consort the yeah um, right and this it,
0: element of like you know there's the age of the consort at one point which is the sort yeah. of like you know when it's just the winder there's maybe something okay about this but the age of the consort and the false winder kind of come hand in hand and it's like you know also the repetitive rules were Not created by Rupetta, but created by a consort, right? Like there's it's like creating numbered rules is this kind of like man's work (laughs) in a way. Did did
2: you think there was any kind of like dig Asimov in there?
0: Asimov's laws of robotics. I hadn't even considered that. But maybe they're very they're very right it's like societal it's not actually rules about robots but yeah. there there might be something to that i hadn't considered that at all but that's, kinda, that's it's, kind of that's kind of something
2: that i saw mentioned in a in a review on a blog and i was just like i was like yeah i mean they're not exactly an- an analogous but i did find it amusing that there are these like false rules like and right based on like this kind of idea of like um artificial humanity and um and they just like reek you know they're not mm-hmm. good <laughs> they're used for like bad ends well it is
0: interesting too that you know uh i saw an interview with solway where she you know makes the very strong statement that like rupetta is not a robot mm. and stop talking about her that way yeah and you know and i and so you know, whether it's a specific dig at Asimov or not like i think there's there's an element of that of like she's not a robot she's not you know she's a construct it's it's different and if you keep thinking about it in terms of you know thought computation like these sort of very abstract ways of thinking about things you're thinking about it kind of wrong cuz it's actually about feeling and existing in the world
2: yes yeah and i mean the 17th century is before robots. It's before the word robot. It's... Right. Very, she she very much comes out of the, like, pre-robot, like, automaton, um, or, to, or, like, automata, which we discussed in the last episode, but, um, but she's very much, like, this idea of, like, this automata that came to life, and, and she is very much, like, has a life, even if it is, like, a life that came about in a way that we don't necessarily recognise as a way that life tends to come about. Like, she right. is not someone where you're, like... you you don't look at her and think about the limitations in the way that we do with robots like you know we're not like does rupetta pass the turing test like she is like right uh, you know she has like the spark of life spark of like yeah even though it's kind of strange and 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 yeah and it's not a book where we're like what's the science of rupetta no, so if you're if you're
0: asking that question, you're reading the book wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. I hate to say you can read a book wrong, but you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's very like,
0: much not the point here. And yes. like I think, you know, I think even in the book it's made clear that it's not the point. Stuff like um Perdita, her daughter, like there's a sense in which like I, I think you mentioned this, like she's a seed
2: yeah and she's
0: like you know it's like how did she get made like what is she you know it's like these questions are just like not answered by the book and in a lot of ways the book isn't interested in them oh do you disagree i'm curious
2: well it does tell us how the seed comes to be when she was silent for like 100 years all this stuff blew into her and then a seed came out
0: right 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 but it's it's like (laughs) what what does what does that mean in any sort of like concrete matter is like the book's not interested in what yeah it yeah like the basically. book isn't interested in the mechanics of it essentially yes
2: i love when that bit happens because it's basically like she's being like you are not going to be told the science of this and it's just <laughs> like this wonderful strange fable and because there's this whole strain of like botany and kind of ecology in the book which is yeah. really like the the main strain but there's there's a lot of stuff about plants ranging from there's there's the garden that her father has and the way he's trying to keep all these like European plants alive um in the Australian soil, which just constantly want to die and don 't want to thrive, and so <laughs> right. she wants to replace them all with kind of native plants, and then she basically makes a living um as a grad student by um gardening for genon. And the Salt Lane witches had done all their like gardening and planting and it's how they taught children was through like garden work. And so that's like a massive strain in the book is about that. And so then I found it really interesting the way that Perdita had come about through a seed um
0: right oh that's interesting right no i see what you're saying exactly yeah that she she was almost like the but in a way she was like the opposite of gardening right instead of like a human gardening the like world she was the cause of like nature coming into rupetta right into this like mechanical construct and like blooming inside of her
2: yeah yeah um and and i guess so even though I don't think it's necessarily a book where we would immediately think of it as being like ecological fantasy or ecological science fiction, um, I think it's interesting in terms of thinking about like bodies and minds and the way that there is kind of this look at kind of like, uh, in a slightly larger sense, like the body of the earth and like, like taking care of that and like going along with what... It, what is natural obviously this book is very much showing that what is natural is like a construct but um but there's a lot about like learning what will thrive in particular kinds of soil and like working with it and like working with the earth um and um and kind of looking at structures that are more like um earthy uh, looking at structures that are like kind of more like I, I can't even, I'm, I'm not even making sense now but like rather than like everything like top down like all this kind of idea of like power where everything is made and like approved like there's like one narrative there's like one thing of history and then there's all these people on the fringes who are like hedge witches who like spend their time like writing like secret things in their diaries and like planting things and growing things without approval if that makes any kind of sense there's yeah
0: like, definitely yeah it's hard to talk about because I mean the whole point of it is that it's not a purely rational thing so trying to like you know really go at it rationally (laughs) in the podcast format is maybe like we're not going to get there perfectly (laughs) yeah but i do i do you know there's there's a there's i think all of that is there and present in the novel um and it's you know it is definitely and i think this is some of what i was maybe getting at in the like the first two thirds versus the last third piece too of like the first two thirds of the novel and not you know, it doesn't have like a traditional plot. It doesn't have, you know, it's just sort of like the lives of these people over their lives. And, you know, it's like there's some academic work happening. There's stuff happening in history You're getting told stories, um, have all of this feel. And then the like last very like we go on an adventure across the desert thing at the end is like. OK, that's different from like, how the, you know, it becomes almost a little bit of this more like A to B to C kind of thing that mm-hmm. the rest of the novel like very purposefully doesn't engage in. Um, yeah,
2: and the best parts of it are when you see people living their lives in that world like
0: <laughs> right when you're just getting told random you know folk yeah. tales by the people who live there i mean that 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 you know that folk tale is one of my favorite things i would i would happily read a book of like you know the fictional architects. folk tales or just like if if solway ever wanted to write like a bunch of like fairy tales but for like alternate history fairy tales like i'm there i'm reading it it reminded yeah. me oh you know what that i Actually, reminded me of a lot was um Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities Mm. which is like one of my favorite books and very much is a book of like weird folk I mean it's like I have you read the book
2: um I haven't but I've read parts of it I've yeah I haven't read it cover to cover
0: so it's it's um it's told as uh Marco Polo telling the Kublai Mm. tales of his adventures but every single story in it is like a, somewhere between a one and a six page description of a city. Yes. And that's it. And each city has like one thing about it. And it's a description of that like one thing about the city. And it's it's um one of the most formally interesting books I've ever read because it doesn't like on the face of it it's not even a book it's not even a novel you know but it works as like one of the best books about cities i've ever read um and one of the like like at the end of it like it really ties it all together in this way of like oh i just read about a city and i feel like i know more about cities for having read this book um in a way that's very hard to describe and is this kind of you know as we describe some of these things where it's like it's hard to talk about because it's not purely rational it's a feeling like that book also has that like there's a non-rational just feeling element to it that, you know, does make you feel like you understand something better, even if it's hard to put it into words.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, i i really loved that bit and i think it made me think oh i really need to read invisible cities properly um i um i've read bits of it and i've there's a twitter account i follow which posts up like random bits from it and oh, everyone i, I read those. i'm kind of obsessed with um so it's yeah. a short
0: book it's worth it's worth picking up and yeah, yeah you can we read have it, it in an afternoon yeah. or two um,
2: um but but that whole that whole bit, um when it started i was a bit like oh we're going away from this it's you know it's changing right near the end and then i was kind of won over by the by the folk tales, by the descriptions of the city <laughs> by the cafe where instead of ordering drinks you say i want to talk about this i with want a this conversation that was great
0: that was <laughs> yeah that was so great. i was also
2: like i would never go to that cafe <laughs> but um <laughs> but i liked reading about it um
0: Right. The problem with that was I was won over by that scene and then she randomly gets stabbed and no one knows what's like no one. Is bothered oh, by yeah. like and then there were like like that would that was what would happen in that last movie was like I'd be won over by these perfect things, and then yeah. a lot of action would happen and I couldn't follow what was actually like happening in the moment. And it it I think that's a lot of what threw me off was the kind of back and forth of it's not mm. that I actually liked it less in any in individual piece, but mm. as a whole it didn't congeal quite as well. I
2: was very upset when Mar- Margus I, I don't have to her name yeah. when. The- when the true winder was stabbed, I was like, oh no.
0: I know that was, that was, that was, that was a lot. That whole scene was like in the end there was like yes. a lot happened very quickly. Yeah. Um. So one thing I did want to talk about too is sex in the novel. And like, like, so I guess part of this is just, you know, wanting to say that like I, one of the things I really enjoyed about the novel was the way that like the love between Henry and Miri, like when she was Miri, was handled the way kind of like like they clearly had this like passionate, loving, romantic and even sexual relationship. And, you know, I yes. think a lot of science fiction does sex really poorly. Mm. Um, you know, it's very <laughs> mechanical and like, you know, like, you know, there's often very weird and bad power structures, whether like in the text of the book or just sort of you're like hmm like this feels more like this dude's fantasy than anything else (laughs) yes um and you know one of the things i really enjoyed about the book was the way that the sex was handled in that it was you know i i call it sex i mean obviously there's no like actual explicit like you know sex scenes or anything like that in it but there there is this element of like they're in this loving relationship and you know (laughs) kind of like we mentioned there's points where it's like well how did you not know that rupetta was rupetta given Mm. that you are like physically intimate but there's also this element of like the intimacy is like this very like normal and like powerful thing. Mm. Like it's both just sort of like, you know, it's these like two women who love each other. And also it's like, you know, that love is very powerful and there's a lot of emotional content to it. But then there's also this thing that happens that, you know, is very kind of, um you know, maybe almost like twilighty where it's like, okay, so they love each other, but also Rupetta is like, not human (laughs) yeah and she is super old and like way more like you know in certain ways like able to handle the situation and she you know knows and has secrets in a way that um henry is not and there was something about that that you know felt like maybe it wasn't completely explored in the story Mm -hmm. but like i still i still liked it all a lot and it felt you know it's like them the salt lane witches and the way that their like love for each other was so powerful and it was so nice to learn at the end that like oh she didn't just like abandon her lover (laughs) you know like i was so happy to learn that that like oh there's you know maybe not a happy ending to the story but the sad ending isn't the one that we thought it was it's like tragic instead of like you know mean Um, yeah that was all that was all really nice
2: yeah yeah. Well and and I guess one of the things that is interesting so so obviously you're right there is no explicit sex scenes in the book or anything but um the winding is kind of sexual right there's this right, the, the way right. that it describes um the the kind of intimacy of having people and and so the mechanical hearts that we know that people have in mimicking her heart um have keys that are turned and they are like cogs right. and stuff but her heart doesn't have any kind of like proper proper doesn't have any kind of like obvious like mechanism like that basically people have to just right. stick their hands in and they just know what to do and it's like kind of like twisting your fingers around and then like imparting right. and then the f- and then the way it describes the like feeling that she has is very much like like she's writing about an orgasm right so um like and so, and, and it's weird because that is a difficult line to straddle because the time, one of the times when you get like the most vivid description of it is when it's a child, like sticking the hand mm-hmm. in. So it's not quite an orgasm, but it's kind of like that and kind of like a transmission of like feeling and like memory, like she gains like a certain amount of like their spirit almost. And and, mm-hmm. and it's described as like this like very intimate thing that like links them together in, in, in like a kind of very intimate way and so i found that really interesting right. um and it's always her and another woman doing that and that is separate from her romantic relationships as well because uh, mm-hmm. she's having this relationship with um henry at the same time as she's with again i can't pronounce his name Margos. <laughs> right um,
0: well doesn't doesn't though like i mean henry eventually becomes her winder
2: yes that's true right
0: like towards the towards the end so there's there is something there there's also this element of like The Winders, you know, they had very specifically like consorts, not husbands, not, you know, not co-emperor, you know, it's like you know it's like you have Rupetta and then you have your consort in the same way that like a you know emperor might have like a wife and then many consorts or whatever. Yeah. Um, where it's like the true couple here is like Rupetta and the Winder not the Winder and her husband, you know, cuz it's not a husband.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and there's the and, and when it's like the false Winder and the false Rupetta, the false Rupetta is her sister who is much more of like a, what we would think of as an automaton in that she can basically write her name and it, it Is what we told about her earlier on, and by this point they can kind of make her walk. But she isn't she doesn't have personhood in the same way that Rupertta does. And so part of like Mm -hmm. that false relationship is that they are propping up this like regime with like a fake version of Ruperta and like the relationship is all wrong. Like there's not this kind of intimacy, this back and forth. Um yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So yeah, Mm -hmm. that is really interesting. Um Yeah, um, I mean I think the way that different relationships between women, sexual, se- not sexual, romantic, not romantic, kind of family relationships, um, kind of the cornerstone of the book is really wonderful, is slash was really wonderful to read. There are very few male characters um, who, um, who who are kind of significant. I, I guess there's two. There's Jenon and... Oh, I guess right. there's his father, Jenon, and then I can't remember his name, the friend towards the end... Um, who kind of travels with Rupetta to
0: Oh right. Uh K, K, it's a K name. I forget yeah. exactly what his name is, um, right? Yeah, and then and there there's are... the consorts like at various times with yeah, some yeah, significance. And like, but...
2: The husband of right. Judita and stuff. For the but... most
0: part, like the male characters are like husbands and friends yeah. and like, you know, plot devices. Yeah.
2: Which is <laughs> which uh, which is like very refreshing. <laughs> um yep. and, and they're all very I think they're all pretty well-rounded. Um, you know, it's not like I was reading it being like, this person doesn't know how to write men. But um, but I was, like, it, I was just very pleased at, like, how the almost all of the, like, really intimate and, like, complicated relationships in the book are between women. Um, and they're not all, like, mirror images of each other. They're all, like, touching on different aspects. Um, and, yeah, I found that really interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: The... Um the one thing so there were there were two parts of the book or well actually i guess i guess there's the one thing i did want to talk about a little bit is um and i'm I'm trying to figure out how to segue this and it's just going to be an awkward segue um (laughs) (laughs) that's fine um just because we're getting into the like kind of like final grab baggie before before we have to wrap up here um but is There was something weird and funny to me about the way in which, you know, they're on Australia, but there are no like native people in Australia. They don't get mentioned at all. Yeah, it's like they're the the, like people who are being oppressed are this oikos who are also like white European settlers who just have like different religious beliefs, essentially. And it did. There did feel to be this kind of like funny, like, you know like, complete lack of race in the book, even as they travel to different places in a way that felt, you know, it's like, okay, on the one hand, the book isn't about race, and it takes, you know, place in a world that maybe diverged before our modern ideas of race really, like, got fully built up. But then at the same time, I think in particular, like, given Australia's, like, particularly nasty version of, like, colonial settler uh, racism is, you know, it, it was one thing about the book that I felt a little bit weird about while reading was, like you know, I mean, I've been to Australia. I've known a bunch of Australians. And so like, you know, sure. On the one hand, like hashtag, not all Australians or whatever, but also like, you know, Australia is really racist. Yeah. Um, And, and like, I've, I've been there and had people just be like, Oh yeah. You know, it's like the, the natives are all drunks and they don't, you know, like live in society in the same way we do. And it's like, what
1: yeah <laughs> like
0: we at least feel some shame in america for thinking that <laughs> like you guys are just like this is normal and uh, and so like that felt a little bit weird for me at times like through this
2: yeah and i mean the two big the two nations in the book that we really hear about are france and australia right and france right. also has a particularly brutal colonial history and um, i say as yes. a british person obviously we also do but um <laughs> but, but um but france um was a, a brutal colonial power um for for uh, for a large part of yes. kind of late early modern and and modern and kind of early what we think of as modern history uh, through the twentieth century right and so there's this idea of like this French regime although I was kind of trying to work out where it was when it was talking about, like the forests and like the um and like the yeah. north I was kind of like, is, is this in Russia now is this Eastern Europe I couldn't work it out but there's very much this sense of like okay this is a brutal power that has taken over and and is in control in a lot of the world. But yeah, but it's very much like what is the status of race in this world and then the section towards the end of the book it seems they're travelling somewhere more like... I was like, like in the I was east, like is this the middle east is this is this somewhere in or asia like, or is this somewhere else
0: right is a minor somewhere
2: is it somewhere else in australia the co- like because australia is massive and obviously has a lot of desert i was like i can't right. work out what this is and yeah and and there's one character who has a name that doesn't seem like it's based on european names i think um which is mm-hmm. that the friend towards the end of the book whose name i cannot remember um, right. but but yeah and, and then the rest of the book is very much like everyone is white And so I spent a lot of time. So when the Oikos first came about, I was like, I really hope this isn't because because of the various traits they have um uh, being close to the earth and like living in this like simpler way i was like, i really hope this isn't like and these are the native people of here and then they weren't i was like great and then i was like waiting to actually meet (laughs) indigenous people right and it never happened and so yeah in a sense i was reading it and i was thinking okay this is something she doesn't necessarily this book isn't about but it just completely doesn't engage with it to a point where it feels like yeah okay everyone is white except one indian guy Um, right
0: yeah it's it's like one thing for it to not be about the book to not be about something and that's fine right Mm. And it's another thing to like almost feel like it's purposefully left out that there's like you know a purposeful lack of engagement with something in particular in a way that like you know like they're they're like we should engage with these things and if we're talking about you know kind of like feminist histories like yeah. I think like anti-colonialist histories are also need to be a part of that conversation yeah
2: and i mean it very much is talking about this like false regime right and and the ways right. in which it has like oppressed large groups of people and yet that aspect is just completely not there and 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 so and i mean i think that's also part of the problem with writing about a recognizable alternate history of our world, but basically not naming anywhere other than France um, or like regions of France. Like, like, Oh yes, Languedoc. That is France. Like, right. (laughs) um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like by expecting us to infer it, you're kind of going back to a kind of white European default. And I mean, it's about, about, it's based on European history, but European history is not a history of like white European people. (laughs) um like exactly exactly um, so so yeah no that was something that was constantly kind of um in my mind as i was reading i was constantly waiting for characters uh, for for, for, i was constantly waiting to like um hear about um other parts of the world more recognizably um to to meet people who were not white european or of white european descent and mm-hmm. um and it doesn't really ever happen um and right as I and say, it seems like, like completely disinterested
0: in those stories yeah. existing and the fact that that one character is like a kind of you know like helpful servant type yeah. doesn't like help with any of this either
2: no yeah he basically exists to be like her friend and to take her to the desert um
0: right yeah. right so
2: and yeah like so the anyway that was just sort of like uh
0: yeah it's like somewhat hard to be like i didn't like this thing that wasn't in the novel but like the reason i didn't like it was because it wasn't in the novel so <laughs> yeah. it feels a little bit you know it was just this one thing that i like kept hoping that would at least be acknowledged in any way and it felt entirely unacknowledged and it seems you know i think this is where you know like sometimes these kinds of um uh, i, I don't know. i'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what I actually mean and how i'm gonna say this um you know, I think it can be easy in in science fiction and academia and literature and like just the way that we think generally to you know think in terms of like oh women and women's issues or oh Mm. and this is just about that so i don't need to talk about race Mm. and you know i guess what i'm saying is like intersectionality question mark exclamation point right like like they're like sometimes these kind of things can come off as very you know i recently reread the left hand of darkness and and it it was maybe the one kind of complaint i had about the book rereading it like for the third or fourth time was like oh this feels very you know Like, there's almost something, like, gender essentialist about the way, you know. And and I think maybe I felt elements of that in Rupetta, too, where it's, like, her taking on the body of a man was never treated as, like, oh, she's transitioning gender or anything. It was purely just, like, a mask that she put on, which is interesting, given that the whole thing is, like, oh, the body you live in is who you are and is important, Mm. right? And, like, I don't know. There are these kind of elements of, like, it seems to almost, you know... Sure, on the one hand, it's like a feminist science fiction novel and this feminist story, and then on the other hand, it seems to just, like, not be interested in, like, well, what's the intersection of that with, like, you know gender more broadly and different gender expressions or what's the intersection with that of like race and colonialism and like all of these different like elements and said it's just it kind of like stays in this one lane and sometimes that to me can be i want to hear about all of it yeah (laughs) i guess
2: the bit with her taking on the the kind of male body i was a bit worried about when it came up i think it was 100 okay for me because because so so what I think, what I often find difficult about that kind of thing in a book is when someone who has previously not expressed or um, or, or thought about um, any disalignments between their body and how they feel mm-hmm. and how they want to express their gender, if they suddenly appear in the body of like another gender and they're suddenly like, okay, I'll take on different pronouns, I'll, I-, I am this different gender now, whereas right. that's not kind of how. It- it works um so the fact (laughs) that she takes on this body of a man as a disguise and she i think people refer to her as he or whatever but she is still Mm. she she is still repeta and when she appears she's kind of treated the same i kind of liked that because it felt it read to me as like an acknowledgement that she her, her gender has not been changed by her expression of it um and it's kind of like more mercenary but it isn't explored in particular detail this was all kind of like inference um from like quite a quite scanty section on it um right so yeah so i think it just what worked for me but um but it it, it is true that for a book that talks about a body that can be like changed in this way and that um it doesn't really talk about like um any problems it it doesn't ever really trouble like the gender binary really um
0: right which is always a little bit i guess and i guess that for me is what it is it's like you know i always i i constantly feel this way in science fiction and, and fantasy in particular where it's like you have these wizards and these like transfiguration type spells and like okay like no one ever like becomes a different gender and like there's not like a much broader Type of like gender expression possible in this world? Like, to me, that's one of the first things that I think about, <laughs> you know, in that world. You should read
2: The Raven Tower by Anne Leckie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay (laughs) well that comes out in february you said maybe that'll be on the the list here coming up soon it's a
2: fantasy book but yeah it comes out in february i just did finger guns to be like yeah Um, it's got a a trans hero and this is talked about within like the first 10 pages the the
0: interesting yeah yeah the um you know the the nine fox gambit also had kind of like elements Mm. of this like you know gender stuff that that we liked a lot and so i'm i'm constantly wanting to read more stuff with that whether it's you know novels or like the like rpg settings or like whatever (laughs) whatever it is
2: yeah no Um, definitely
0: cool well i think that's most of my i mean you know like beyond being able to like talk for another like 20 hours about history Mm. and what is history uh most of my thoughts on the novels at this point yeah did you have anything more that you wanted to to bring up
2: what was with all the apples Everything is described in terms of apples. It made me really want to eat an apple.
0: Really? I didn't notice this, really? Yeah. I somehow totally did not
1: notice. That. I was like
2: underlining every mention of apples. I was like, Does she really <laughs> love apples? Um no, I I mean I think we've basically um I think we have basically exhausted my notes other than I did write down apples question mark. Um right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, unfortunately the best answer I have is like, oh oops. <laughs> Didn't see it. Apples are good. i like apples. Yeah, me too. Um <laughs> Cool. Well, thank you so much for like recommending this book coming on dealing with my, you know, you know, your illness and my scheduling wonkery it's fine. and everything. It was great. Um, this is this has been really fun. I, I really enjoyed both these conversations and to get to you know read this book and hopefully you know folks who are listening have also read the book and enjoyed it. I saw a couple of people like you know bought it through the link, which is which is great. It's like yay, you know we're we're getting to bring books people haven't heard of yeah. uh, to them, which is you know my yeah my ultimate goal for this whole thing
2: (laughs) i would just say if anyone has got this far without reading the book i would just say if you're struggling to work out how to buy it because lots of people have been like how can i buy the book um if you look at the publisher's website um they sell the ebook and they sell it worldwide i think um Mm. so if it's not on your local kindle store or even if you just want to support independent publishing as we all do (laughs) um i'm sure um you can buy it from their website directly as an ebook and i think it's like five quid which is like what like eight dollars or something um
0: yeah somewhere between eight and ten bucks so yeah depending that's, that's depending
2: on how bad. badly our politicians or your politicians have <laughs> fucked up the market yeah this week.
0: who's fucking up more at the moment <laughs>
2: like, he's just constantly just constantly <laughs> fucking it up so yeah
0: cool so um so we'll be back um unfortunately without charlotte next month to read 10 billion days and 100 billion nights by ryu Mitsuse um and that will be coming out i think the second week of january uh until then um i guess again twitter's uh we're at spectology pod on twitter and spectologypod at gmail.com if you want to email us we actually got some email about rupetta that was that was really fun i think we talked about some of the ideas mm-hmm. that that email brought up so uh, you know appreciate the, the reader who sent that to us and um yeah, you're at Tambourine. Charlotte's at Tambourine with a U, so O U R, Green.
2: <laughs> yeah, on Twitter and um, and on Dreamwidth. Again, if you want to read overlong um, posts about the '90s TV show Due South, um, or reviews of the new How Resign Me book, um, both posted there. Um, always Already.
0: Cool. I'll also put a link to that in the show notes yeah. and on Twitter, as we always do too, and. Um, Thanks uh, to WJ for our music. You can find him on SoundCloud. Um, Noah Bradley, NoahBradley.com, for our our artwork. You can find prints of his on his website. And um, yeah, with that, you know, thank you everyone for listening, talking, all of it. Um, We'll we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.